from Genesis and Matthew. Very familiar stories that don't need much of an introduction. But the, the story in Genesis is the one of, as I said in my prayer, the one of Joseph and his brothers and what can happen between brothers and, and how uh, the turn of events seems to have a divine hand on it. And then finally, this last day of meeting from the Gospel uh, according to Matthew, chapter 14. Um, it will be about the disciples in a boat in the middle of a lake. What might happen there? Who they might see coming to them on the water. So, before we get too far into this, I'll offer you my prayer of illumination. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So our first reading is Genesis. And it's Genesis 37. And it's Genesis 37, 12 through 28. So the story of Joseph and his brothers combines two sources, which might explain some of the oddities and the contradictions. So and as, as biblical scholars have studied this story, they realize that it seems to be coming from two different sources. And so there's, if, you, if you read it in its entirety, you'll, you'll, you'll go, huh, what? And, and, but, but the power of the story still shines through full of intrigue, tragedy, and ultimately, forgiveness and reconciliation. In this case, in this part of the story, it'll be where Joseph gets handed off. So, Genesis 32:22 was, this is an introduction. So, the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two, his two female, and now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Okay, so it sets the scene. The brothers have gone, have gone out to the north. Genesis 37:13, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. The ancient words of God. I am. Here I am as the words of somebody who would have been a dedicated servant to God. So, he said to him, and here's one of those times where it starts to repeat itself, and so he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers in the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found Joseph wandering in the fields. 
And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, said Joseph. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They've gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan, which is further north. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. His brothers saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. That would be fratricide, which is one of the most despicable or the most low of human behavior to kill your family. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. They were being sarcastic. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. The pit. The Hebrew name for the pit was Bor. You spell it B-O-R, Bor. And it's used quite often in Scripture. But Bor was also a cistern where you would hold water or it could be a well. And this one, by the Scripture, you know that it didn't have any water in it. So, the people hearing this story for the first time would also know that pits like this were used as graves they would throw the bodies into the bore. Not, they wouldn't bother to cover them up. They would just discard the bodies in the bottom of these old wells. So, that may be what Joseph's thinking as he gets dropped in the well. This is it. This is the end. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben's the oldest brother, when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Notice how the story kind of repeats itself a bit. That he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. Hmm. So when Joseph finally came to distance, you remember he'd shown up and came to distance, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors. Remember Joseph's robe of many colors. And they took him and threw him into the pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it, as I'd already told you. Then they sat down to eat. How callous of the brothers. They just discarded of their brother, their little brother. Now they're going to eat. Now they're going to have some fellowship. He's gone. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. That was a very common scene of caravans coming out of the north, headed to Egypt, cutting through that area of the world because it was almost like an interstate there. Many caravans went back and forth through the Bible lands. 
And so this was not unusual that this would happen, that a caravan would come along. And this particular one, they looked like they had resources. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, leave him in the hole. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. That's people in the caravan. You notice they changed their name. It's a little bit confusing, but let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to Judah. So, another thing to know about this story is this was common for comrades to sell each other. There is a note in a, in a Ugaritic text of about the 14th century B.C., long ago, that a comrade was sold to a caravan of Egyptians and the Egyptians paid good money for him but then stripped him of his belongings and abandoned him. So this was a way of life there. You know, it's almost like I can hear, don't turn your back on anybody. You might think they're your buddy, but in hard times they'll sell you. Well, the brothers were kind of just acting out of their culture. Not to make it right. Just because we understand doesn't make it right. But it's something that the people really hearing the story wouldn't be so shocked at it. Then Midianite traders passed by. That's where I meant the name change. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. That's the end of this particular story. Now we move on to the story of the disciples and Jesus out on the water. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. That's actually a figure of speech that was used back in that day to say you're moving from Jewish territory to Gentile territory or vice versa. So it, 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 might, it makes it sound like they're going to the other side of the lake, but really they're moving territory. So, so, so Jesus dismissed the crowd. Okay, the party's over. And after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And he would be there all night. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was about, we guess, we estimate it's probably about three miles off the shore of, of a body of water that's only four or five miles wide. So, but, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against him. So it probably, the storm had probably been going on for about nine hours because we know what the fourth watch is. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So fourth watch, that would be between three in the morning and six. So they've been out in the dark for nine hours. And they see this guy. They see this apparition. Walking on the sea. They're, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear because really the word that was used in the Greek was phantasma, which is an apparition. So they really thought it was an evil spirit walking on them on the water. Um, you, probably, you can probably tell they 
were also sleep deprived. But, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. Now remember what I said to you in the first reading. Remember what Joseph said. Here I am. Jesus says something similar. It's captured in Greek, but he, goes, he says, take heart. It is I. Literally, he says, take heart. I am. Just as God said long ago. I am. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on water. Okay. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord, and as we say, thanks be to God. title of my sermon is Into a Pit. Christy, being funny this morning, told me I misspelled the word. It should have been into the P-I-T-T. And that's the way you all spell pit around here. So, into a pit. question for you this morning is, is your pit empty? Is your pit empty? So Joseph was dropped into an empty bore, as they would say in Hebrew. And the actions of his brothers um, put, him, put him there. They're guilty. So Joseph's brothers are guilty. Because he didn't do anything to deserve it. So what if he shared two dreams that really irked his family? If you recall, the dreams made him out to be significant. And every, all of his brothers less than. So, that, you know, in sibling rivalry, I think that would it's due to irk his brothers, you know. Who are you? You're the little brother. What makes you our leader? The empty pit is a point of complete helplessness. helplessness. The empty pit is a point of complete helplessness. For some reason, and we, we talk about the source for this story, and remember I told you it has two sources. So they also, in, the, in the, the conflict between the telling of the two sources, they forgot something really important. We never hear how jo- Joseph responded to the, 
just act. We don't hear if he's scared, if he's like praying down there. We don't have any idea. It'd be nice to know. But as I like to say, if it's not in the Scripture, we don't need to know it because it doesn't benefit the story. So God has provided all we need to know in the story. All we need to know. An important part of the story is that help arrived by not anyone that would be expected. Help arrived by somebody who was least expected. Yeah, I told you it was common for caravans to come along, but, but you never think of those people as helpful. They're just in it for profit or what they can gain. Because remember, I told, told you the story about the Ugaritic uh, text. It said, yeah, they paid for him, but then they stripped him of everything and just left him. They got what they wanted for their money. So, God has provided all that we need to know. Furthermore, from our perspective, God was leading this to a particular conclusion. Joseph was thrown into an empty pit by people he thought he could trust. You would think you could trust your brothers. The pit was empty. But this was not the end. This was not to be the end. Remember I told you about that, that you know, these pits were used for graves, prisons. Even Joseph one day, when he's you know, the big cheese in Egypt, he will use the same word to describe the Pharaoh's dungeon. So you can see, Joseph understands. When we find ourselves in an empty pit, just like Joseph, it doesn't need to be over. Who would have thought that for Joseph, the pit was at a great turning point in his life? Who would have ever thought that being thrown into a pit is where life is going to change? The same can happen to any of us. Who thinks when we're in the pit of despair, when we have the most awful diagnoses, when we lose that job we worked all of our life to get, when, we, when our family falls apart, who would think that that's a turning point in our life? And not that it's turning and going to go down, but that the life that comes after may be better. Soren Kierkegaard said, the deepest form of despair is to choose to be another than himself. The deepest form of despair is to choose to be another than himself. In other words, the deepest form of despair is to simply renounce your person. To want to be somebody else, to truly disown yourself. And this despair arises in not willing or choosing to be oneself, but to be who one is. So, sometimes, when we try to make our lives, make our lives anew, sometimes we, we latch on, we go, I'm going to try to be more like him. I'm going to try to find out, you know, how did he get to where he is? We can only surmise 
But it does seem that Jesus, excuse me, it's a J word. It does seem that Joseph was not in despair in the pit because he knew who he was by those dreams. See? He wasn't going to give up on those dreams even though that's why his brothers threw him in a hole. Because he believed those dreams. And he believed those dreams were coming from a source that could be trusted. And he very well may have believed that that pit was not the end. The dreams were telling. The dreams were a portent of a hopeful future. They were an affirmation of a future that he would one day have. Is your pit empty? When you were in that pit, and almost all of us, if we live long enough, will find a pit. But is your pit empty? I hope not. But one thing can be said is that out of Scripture, out of Scripture, we know that there's a life beyond this one. Whether it's while we're walking on earth or whether it's after we die. But there's a life beyond this one where there is no longer a pit, where there's no longer a dungeon, where there's no longer a cistern, where there's no longer a dry well. There is a life indeed. Well, you will not only perceive, but you will know that God is with you. Hold on to that hope. Because as I said, if we live long enough, we'll find ourselves in a pit. And the one who saves you may be as surprising, surprising as it ever could be. Jesus Christ will save you. Let us pray. Life is full of storms, Lord. And when we focus on our immediate situation, we can falter and fail. When we get, when we get stuck in what's happened as opposed to what can or will happen, that trust in God it can calm, you can calm, Lord, the stormiest of seas. And as for Joseph, you can lift us out of the deepest, darkest pit. But as Scripture has told us, when we focus on the storm clouds, when we stare at the walls of our pit, it's very hard to find the hope that you planted within us. May we, may we know that hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.